And so at its simplest level, it's just get the volume faders right. If that's all you did, that's great because so many, so many people skip that part or they do a quick balance and then they start going to EQ, compression, and saturation, and they want to you know, sidechain things. And it's like, man, do you, you skip the most important part of mixing, which is the balance. What's up producers, it's Sam Matler here. Welcome to the EDM podcast, episode 25. And this episode is with Graham Cochran. Uh, Graham is the founder of The Recording Revolution. He's a musician, uh, he's a recording engineer, mix engineer, you name it. He does a lot of stuff, um, but he's most known for his work at The Recording Revolution and we talk about that in this episode. We talk about a bunch of things, in fact. Uh, We talk about how you can make money off your music project through freelancing uh, and the mistakes people make when trying to do that. We talk about the fact that you don't need a ton of money to get started recording and and doing music. We also talk about mastering and Graham gives a good answer to why it can be a good idea to master your own work and he actually changes my perspective on this. Uh, So that's worth listening to. But before we get into it, uh, I highly recommend that you check out Graham's The Smart Start to Mixing video Uh, this is a free video that you can get when you go to his website it's all about how to optimize your door your plugins and get a better sounding mix Uh, so definitely check that out there's a link to that in the show notes you'll see it if you're listening on itunes or soundcloud or on the website Uh, so check that out and without further ado here is graham cochran This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back everyone to the EDM podcast. I'm with Graham Cochran. Graham, how's it going? It's going great, Sam. How are you, my man? I'm good. I'm good. Super excited for this interview. Um, I mean, you do a lot. You run the Recording Revolution. You're a musician yourself. You've put out a load of stuff. So, for people who don't know you that well, I mean, let's head back to the beginning. How did you get started in music? And I want to talk about the Recording Revolution, but to start with, um, how did you get started in music? How did you become a musician? Oh, man, I think like all of us that are musicians, when you hear good music at a young age and you say that's that's what i want to do that's cool um and so i started singing a long long time ago when i was really young my dad was very musical and so he was always playing records so i just got exposed to music realized i loved it realized i could actually 
carry a tune and, and had a lot of teachers in elementary school when I was really young, like nurturing that saying, Hey, you should sing and, and do musicals. And so I just got my feet wet in music mm. and, um, but then I, I started to learn to play trumpet and, uh, I was probably like eight, nine years old and I was playing trumpet in like the classical band at school. And it was cool cause I got to learn how to read music, but all I wanted to do was like write my own songs and sing and, being a trumpet player, you can't really sing and play at the same time. <laughs> so I had to I had to switch instruments, and so I picked up guitar purely as a way to accompany myself, so I could write songs and and sing original stuff and be in a band and just experience. I just wanted to experience all of that. I wanted to songwrite, play out live, record. I just I wanted to jump in it, you know. And from there, how did you start taking an interest in recording and mixing? I, mean, I have a, a, I think a familiar story, especially when if you grew up in the the '90s, is recording studios were really the only option to record your band, and mm. and when you start to break out how much money it costs per hour, how much money you have, and how many hours you think it will take your band to lay down four or five songs in the studio, we we had to make a decision: can we afford to do the record we want, or do we just spend all the money on some equipment and do it ourselves? And this was literally like 96, 97, and, and there was no there's no computer-based recording at an affordable level that even sounded good. Mm-hmm. There was no YouTube to get on to learn tutorials. There was no recording revolution. So it was just like buy a Korg 8-track hard disk multi-track recorder off of eBay, uh, and it comes with this horrible manual that is written <laughs> by scientists and and nobody wants to read the thing. I don't. I don't want to learn how to operate machinery. That's not what I want to make music. So I wasn't interested in recording. I just wanted my music recorded. Mm. But I, I'm, I guess, more proactive than the rest of the people in my band in high school. And so I finally just flipped through the manual so so we could figure it out. And okay, the arm, your arm tracks. You can you can record something on one track and something on the other track. And then I realized there's a couple of EQ things. And I realized, wait a second, this thing. This little box that's sitting in front of me, and there's no computer at this point, it's just the hard disk recorder. This thing is amazing because I realized I could use it as a songwriting tool. Like I could, mm-hmm. I could lay down a vocal and then I could try harmonies with myself. I could try to sing along with my previous recording of myself. This is obvious basic stuff in 2016, yeah, yeah. but this was like a mind blowing for me as like a, a young high school student in the 90s. Like, man, this is going to help me write songs. And then I started to think, I don't need a studio. I've got microphones. I've got this thing. I can put this on a CD. So that was the light bulb of there's something else out there that goes along with music that's just as exciting. It's just a different facet of it. I see. That's, that's super interesting. And so, so that was 96, 97. And you started the recording revolution uh, when? 2009. So between, say, 97 and 2009, what, what were you doing? Uh, going to school, <laughs> you know, finishing high school. Um, I, I was really trying to to be a rock star. Uh, I still yep. am trying to be a rock star. <laughs> uh, I just so it was it was like okay, I'll finish high school, and I just wanted to then go out and play and get signed and do whatever I had to do. Um, my parents had saved up money for college. Um, God bless them, and my grandfather as well. And they said, "Look, we've we've saved money, so you can go to school without any debt." We'd like you to go to school. And after that, you can do whatever you want. So um, I was frustrated, but I found out that you could go to university for recording music. Mm-hmm. I realized there were schools that had programs, and that, that was new to me. So I, saw, I thought that would be perfect. I'll, I'll appease my family. I'll get an education, but I'll also be able to 
work in some real studios and learn from some real people instead of just me fiddling around in my bedroom. And uh, so I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, I, I worked in a, an amazing studio in Virginia for a little while after graduating. Um, realized that I wasn't able to make a living doing that. There was about 10 interns fighting for mm-hmm. the one staff engineer spot and the hours were horrible and I was newly married and I was like, this is, this isn't going to be a real life for me. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's, a, it's a difficult dance after school. So there was definitely a, a gap of probably mm, six years, no, longer, about four, maybe four years between finishing school and starting the Recording Revolution where I was, I was recording bands, just doing it freelance. I just did it freelance. So mm-hmm. forget the studio, I'll just do it myself. And I had different day jobs and then I tried to be freelance full time for a while and then day jobs again. And I was always just recording bands, even in college, um, just said, forget, I don't need, I don't need the studio. I have gear. I know people that are musicians they need recordings. We can make this happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so you started the recording revolution. Was that a, was that like a conscious decision? Like I'm going to start this, I'm going to build a business, uh, out of it. Uh, I'm going to make a living. Was it a conscious decision or was it something you kind of fell into? It was both. It, it was um, it was a, something I fell into in that I started it just for some of my friends because mm. I was always, I've been doing a lot of mentoring. A lot of my musician friends were like, okay, hey, and I want to learn how to record now. I need to record demos or I want to track my own stuff. And they would always ask me the same questions that people ask me today. What do I need to buy? Mm. What do I not need to buy? How do I use it? What am I doing? And so... My wife said, um, you got to stop having these same conversations. People would come over for dinner and I would explain the exact same thing to them to the point that she could quote and tell them what, what audio interface they needed, what Pro Tools was, how much it costs, how to get it going. She's like, you need to just write this stuff down, put it somewhere on the web, and you can just send your friends to it. So literally, no joking aside, that was what the Recording Revolution was supposed to be. It was just like 10 or 12 articles or videos of like, here, here friends, here's how to get started. Um, literally my first article, if you go back and read it, it was called, um, your home studio for $500. And it's literally what I was writing to my friends. Okay. You don't need this. You don't need this This is what you need. Um, that's how the idea started. That's all it was supposed to be. I didn't want to have a website. I didn't want to teach people. I didn't, I didn't think I had much to say because to me it was just sort of basic stuff. Mm. Um, but at the, right after I started that, um, I lost a job, a company I was working for, uh, failed and so I lost my job and so I was just doing going back to more freelancing and uh, I had more free time so I just kind of kept the website going a little bit while I was freelancing and I thought the Recording Revolution site would give me more traffic to my freelancing so I would get more clients Mm -hmm. and really it was the Recording Revolution site that got way more interest there was people coming out of nowhere finding my videos somehow finding my articles saying hey this is great can you can you explain this or how do, how would you do this? Or what about this kind of compression? Or so I was just answering people's questions and, and it just, the, the, the desire and the, the appetite for this knowledge was there in a way that I didn't expect. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, you know, you, you said that your first article was on setting up a home studio for $500. And you talk about this a lot. Uh, you say that Artists and engineers can get good results without spending a ton of money. Uh, so, how can people get good results on a tight budget? Because I get a ton of questions from people saying, um, you know, do I need to spend $5,000 on monitors? 
or do I need to buy this piece of hardware? And these people are bedroom producers, electronic music producers. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, like, what are the bare essentials in your opinion? Yeah, it's really simple. There's really only five things you need. You need, um, you need a computer. And the beautiful thing is that most people have a fast enough computer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that are looking for home studio equipment, they already have a good enough computer to do this. Um, and so you don't need to go deck out a really, really expensive computer at all. So just a, whatever computer you're already on, laptop, desktop, doesn't matter. People are doing stuff on their iPads and yeah, their phones yeah. these days. So, I mean, it's, it's insane. You have a device already, so you need that. Um, you need uh, a piece of software, and there's a lot of platforms. It's called a DAW or DAW. This is your recording or mixing software. Mm-hmm. It could be Ableton. It could be Pro Tools. It could be Cubase, Logic. Um, it, it, and I continue to get questions about which one's the best, and I, I feel like those kind of questions are like, what's the best you know, microphone for rap vocals? Like it doesn't, yeah, there is no such yeah. thing. It depends on what does that person sound like. So they're all amazing now. They all, the beautiful thing about capitalism is there's competition, which means it forces all the competitors to improve their product. So the mm-hmm. consumer wins. So we win in the sense that Pro Tools was out of the gate, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and there's so many other dolls that have been around forever. And they all feed off each other and say, oh, there's that feature. We need to include it. So they're all amazing now. It does not matter. Use what you already have or what somebody, you know, taught you on, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, so you need a doll. You need a computer. You need at least one microphone. Uh, I, I have something called the $100 rule. At least in U.S. dollars, you only need a, a microphone that, around the $100 range. This could be a, a condenser microphone, like something from Behringer, like a B1 or an Audio-Technica AT2020 or mm-hmm. um, anything in that, that real budget range. Or even a dynamic like a Shure SM57. Um, I've done records with just that. Um, a lot of times on really aggressive re- um, vocals, that's the best mic. It sounds yeah, so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you just need one microphone because you can overdub things. And a lot of electronic musicians, they only need it for vocals or for adding acoustic elements here or there. Mm. Um, so you definitely only need one. You can even do drum kits with one. I did a whole band with one microphone. Wow. That's uh, <laughs> all on the blog. You can go watch it. So there's a lot you can do with one microphone. You need a pair of uh, headphones at least. And then you need, um, what am I missing? Headphones, computer, interface, microphone. might be oh yeah the interface duh the audio interface that's yeah so that and that's again same kind of thing this is your box that's your microphone preamp it's also you can plug in guitars and line instrument into i mean people know this stuff those are the five key elements and every studio big and small has those five elements so Mm. um for example i did a whole 300 dollars studio challenge thing a year ago and it was you know, because somebody challenged me on, on social media, like, you know, you talk a big game, but can you really do something with a really cheap studio? Or, And I said, yeah, of course, you can do a lot. There's people that are doing stuff right now. So I went ahead and, and bought a $300 studio. It was like a $100 interface, a $70 microphone, $30 headphone. It was really cheap. Mm-hmm. And just film the whole thing. And in essence, it can go from that setup all the way to the big, big studios. They have the same five elements. They have monitors. They have uh, microphone preamps and converters. They've got a DAW they're recording to. They've got at least one microphone, and then they've got um, their computer that it's all being recorded on. So the difference is just number of inputs, number of outputs, sound, feature set, and then as you move up the quality chain, there's there's certain things that higher quality gear can give you mm. in terms of headroom and things like that. That can be great if you're just gonna just blast on a drum kit, but if you're con- conservative with your volume and record strategically. 
then that headroom isn't really an issue even on affordable gear. Right, gotcha. Uh, one question I get quite a lot is, you know, Sam, I've got money for some cheap monitors or some decent headphones. What should I pick? Uh, mm. And I'm, I'm not quite sure of the answer, but I know you did a video recently on mixing on headphones mm-hmm. um, and why you can actually get away with it. But a lot of people think you need monitors. Why is that? Well, I think, I think monitors would be a close second to headphones. If you can only get one, mm. I would get headphones because your room probably sounds bad, mm-hmm. which means it will fool you even with $5,000 studio monitors. That's the problem. I don't want anybody to go buy $5,000 monitors when they're in a bedroom studio. That's no. one of the, the dumbest things you could do. Um, <laughs> I and I mean that in the nicest way, just because you're never going to hear what those monitors are giving you because of your room. Um, yeah. So, and that's that's kind of a new concept for some people is to realize your room changes the way you hear things. It colors your sound, so it's going to affect how you mix. So headphones will eliminate the room, and I think that will get people going faster um, and get some results quicker. If uh, But beyond that, you do want to get a pair of monitors, even affordable ones, as soon as you can as your next up- upgrade because you need to have at least one other set of speakers, ideally, to check your mixes on. Mm. And also, headphones sound different than real speakers just because the stereo imaging is different because there's their speakers literally strapped to your face. Yeah, um, yeah. And so it just changes how you hear things. So I think it's the perfect combination is a pair of affordable monitors and headphones and you can flip back and forth and just sort of hear the differences and the nuances and wake up your ears a little bit too because your ears get used to your headphones and they get used to your speakers. So you need to flip back and forth just to stay um, unbiased and to stay, you know, have perspective, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe this is just me, but wearing headphones for hours on end is not that comfortable oh yeah it, it definitely tires your ears your ears fatigue faster so you need to take more breaks if you work on headphones and that's something i talked about in that video you can check it out but it's it is a legitimate way to work now it's not just a oh i guess i have to have headphones i think it's just it's a valid way to work um absolutely 100 percent. but i think you should anyone who is serious about their craft will have both eventually yeah. Don't feel bad if you only have one to start, but instead of buying a more expensive audio interface, just get a pair of speakers instead. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, now, I want to switch gears for a moment. You know, you're a businessman as well as a musician, engineer, uh, and my audience is mostly electronic music producers, uh, people who make music in their bedroom, quite young. Uh, and a lot of these people want to make a little bit of extra money off their craft or even a full-time income and you know, you've got the audio income project i believe mm-hmm. um, which i remember seeing quite a few years ago uh, but what advice would you give to people who want to make that extra few hundred dollars per month um, or even build like a, a full-time career out of it oh yeah it's i love this stuff i actually had a guy email me just today um he, uh, he just watched one of my YouTube videos. He hasn't even taken that course, but he just watched one of my YouTube videos on how to charge for mixing. And uh, less than a week later, he booked $1,700 worth of mixing gigs for next month. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's so much easier now to have a, a side business doing this than ever before. So it's a great time for your listeners to, to even consider this. All you really need is you need to develop a portfolio and develop a simple website where you can sell your services. Mm. And you got to 
And so I always tell people, there's something I call the freelance arc. And maybe this will be helpful to your listeners, but sure. there's, imagine like an arc, like, you know, curving and you kind of start on the left side at the bottom. And, and this is where you, you've never charged for anything and you're just getting started. The first thing you got to do is do a bunch of free work. Yeah. And, uh, and this is good for you, not because you're not worth, worth charging for. It's because the free work takes some of the pressure off of you because you're probably insecure about charging. But what it allows you to do is build a portfolio. So you're strategic about your free work. You don't just do free work for anybody and everybody. You do free work for people who you think are really good and who you know would appreciate you throwing them a deal by saying, hey, I'm just trying to build my portfolio. I'd love to mix one of your songs or record one of your tracks. Um, and the trade is that I'll give you, you know, a track or a recording or a mix and you're giving me the opportunity to work on my craft. So I do want to take it seriously. I want to put it in the calendar. We do need to prepare, mm. but the payment is not monetary, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, you pick strategic artists that you think will are talented and good. They'll make you sound good because you're only, your mixes are only as good as the artists you're working on. Um, you could of course do some of your own music, but you get experience and you build a portfolio. So then you can start charging and this is, this is the scariest point for some people. They may never leave free land and they're afraid to start charging. And the question I get is how much yeah. do you charge? How much do you charge? Graham? And, um, and I, although I can't answer that specifically for you, I always tell people, um, well, think about what you make per hour at your job right now. Mm. You know, if you're salaried, you know, you break it down per hour based on how many hours you work in a week. Um, what is, what are you really worth at your job per hour? And unless you're a very specialized profession like medical doctor or lawyer or something like that, um, you, you should probably charge more than what you get paid at your job right now per hour. Why is that? And I would say the logic is because if you're going to record a band, you're not just an employee of a company just filling a spot, answering a phone, flipping a burger, hmm. you know, driving a truck. I'm, I'm not trying to say those are all my only jobs. I'm saying you have a specialized skill. You can record and mix music. Mm -hmm. That's a skill that's worth more than just what you would be paid somewhere. Again, unless you're doing some highly specialized work. So that's so like if, you, if you're making $10 or $15 an hour at your job right now, I would say charge 20 or 25 an hour mm -hmm. to record or mix. Charge something that shows because you've got a cost of equipment. You had to buy the equipment. You had to gain experience and then you're providing a specialized service. So those three things and you're going to have to, of course, pay taxes and all kinds of stuff. So people usually undercharge because they're insecure, yeah. afraid. And two things happen, Sam, when you undercharge. This is important, too, is when you undercharge, when you're just the, the, the cheap guy in town because you're, you think that's how you'll get clients, people don't take you seriously. Exactly. And it devalues your work. It does. But that's so hard for it's so hard for people to, to to step off that ledge and say, okay, I'm just going to charge more because the fear is you won't get any clients. But you'll get yeah. the right clients, and then you'll make enough money for your time. So I think you know, go from free to charging something, and then quickly you're probably going to have to raise your rates because still people undercharge; they're too afraid. Um, and it, and then it goes from there. Like every every year, I'm reevaluating what I'm charging based off of is everybody booking me? If anyone that's interested. And I give them my rates and they say yes. If everybody says yes, I'm not charging enough. You know, mm. you should never have a 100% booking rate because you're not going to be the good fit for everybody. But the beautiful thing is, is if you're a bedroom producer right now is don't look at yourself as a bedroom producer. Don't look at your environment. Don't look at your age. None of those things matter. That's being so um, narcissistic or inward focused. Mm. Look at your, your potential client. What do they want? Think about what they need and find a way to give them what they need. That's where your value comes from. So if you find someone who's really talented and they're like, you're afraid that they're going to think 
you're a nobody, then ignore those weaknesses and instead focus on, hey, look, I listen to your music. I think it's really, really good. I like what you did on this recording, but I think your style could benefit from this, this, and this. And I think I could, I could bring something to your music. I'd love to chat with you on Skype about some things we could do here. Um, and we could maybe even work something out initially where I could do a track for you where the recording is free and then you just pay me for the mix or something if you want to do a trial or something. But you just show that you're thinking about them and creating their music and making it sound good and then they'll trust you more instead of saying, look at me, I have this kind of equipment and I've been recording for this many years. Nobody cares about mm. that stuff. They care about themselves and their music and if you could be others focused, you will be able to easily get some clients. It's something that's happening every month or every other month and that's a nice thing to have on the side using a skill set you already have. And that is uh, that is fantastic advice, so valuable. Uh, if you could boil mixing down to, and this is a bit of an odd question, but if you could boil mixing down to two or three core concepts, what would they be? Oh yeah, I mean mixing is it's all about balance. Mm. That's all mixing is. Your job is just to to balance all the recorded tracks so that you hear things well, and it's and you can hear the song. The song should be good. The performances should be compelling. And your job as the mixer is to make sure you don't get in the way of that and you present the song in the best way possible. And we do that by balancing. And so at its simplest level, it's just get the volume faders right. Yeah, if that's yeah. all you did, that's great. Because so many, so many people skip that part or they do a quick balance and then they start going to EQ, compression, and saturation, and they want to you know, sidechain things. And it's like, man, do you, you skip the most important part of mixing, which is the balance. So spend more time there. And then um, when it does come to effects, really all you're, you really need to worry about is EQ and compression. If you can get those right, they're helping your balance sound even better. Um, and everything else can help for sure, but it's, it's a volume balance and then EQ compression really. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, uh, especially in the world we live in today where there are so many plugins and a lot of free ones too. Uh, I see a lot of people, they're mixing uh, and they chuck in like five plugins before getting the fader at the right level. I think it was Mike Senior who said um, in his book, you know, 80% of a good mix comes from the faders. Oh, he's absolutely right. And Mike's a, he's a brilliant guy. Mm. Really, really nice guy too. He um, He's 100% right because, I mean, Sam, for example, the other day I was mixing a song and I I was trying to get the bass, the bottom end to sound right. Mm. And, um, and I would... It, I'm tweaking the EQ, of course. I'm I'm doing some like parallel saturation on the bass, like get some distortion, and, and I'm doing all these little tricks. And I get so fed up because it's not sitting right, and so I take off all the plugins, and then I just turn the volume fader up like a dB or two, and then the bass sounds bigger <laughs> because it just wasn't loud enough. I mean, it's you back yourself into a corner. Um, so that's man, my lesson the last year or so. I've been trying to slow myself down and spend way more time on the volume faders till they sound amazing mm. you know for 80 percent of the song because you're going to need some automation but man that's that's where the magic comes yeah yeah absolutely uh i want to move on to something that uh i get a little bit frustrated when when i get asked about this but mastering so a lot of uh electronic music producers master their own work maybe that comes with the fact that everything's done in the box and they feel that mastering has to be done as well uh, by themselves. I mean, personally, I think it's a bad idea uh, more often than not to master your own work, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think producers should get their work mastered elsewhere? And if so, why? 
So I, I'm going to say both. I'm going to I'm going to give the yeah, yeah. Uh, there's 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 a case for both. So the case for um, mastering your own music is two twofold. One is um, cost, mm. and 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 the sense that like okay, back up from cost. The really the real reason mastering at home I think is a viable option is because I like to mix in such a way that mastering is rendered pointless yes yeah and i say that meaning and i think you get a same as that i i don't want to mix as if okay mastering will make it sound better later just like when you record like oh we can fix it in the mix that's like postponing the awesomeness for somewhere further down the process and i'm such a stubborn prideful person when it comes to my craft that i if i'm recording i want i want to give it to the mixer and there's nothing for him or her to do they just need to pull up the faders and be like man this this recording engineer did an amazing job Mm -hmm. same thing when i'm mixing my stuff i want to even if i'm that mixer but if i'm mixing my stuff i want to mix it and reference tracks that are mastered and go back and forth and listen on different speakers so that my mixes really actually hold up with commercial masters that's my goal every time i mix so that if i'm mastering my own material really what i'm doing is just organizing my final mixes and making sure that they work together from song to song because mm-hmm. if you mix in isolation one song might be louder than the other and one song might have more bottom in than the other because you don't know when you're doing one song at a time of course but when you master you can at least go okay wow mix three that song i have way too much bass in it compared to the rest of the album so i'm going to tweak that and you can balance the songs against each other do a final check do some final referencing and really it's possible then to master your own material if the mixes really do hold up mm-hmm. they just don't do much else to them in the mastering phase um, and try to have some, you know, unbiased psychological separation. So I teach people how to master their own material because I think it's a valuable skill and I think it is possible. Mm. And I think that's where many people need to start. Now, the benefit of hiring someone to master is twofold. One is they do this all the time. So they're, they're thinking in mastering land, which is a different mental space. They're not thinking about individual tracks. They're just thinking about the overall balance and and they they know exactly what tools to use and when to use it and they've dealt with the same kind of challenges from master to master that their their head is already there in mastering lens that's a benefit and number two is they're not you that's Mm -hmm. not probably the biggest reason to get someone to master is that they're not you they don't have your your biases they haven't heard the song in your room in a million times so they're hearing it fresh and go huh this is a good song but you know what there's way too much bottom end in, in this whole album you know and that they could learn that in two seconds where you might be so used to the bottom end or you in your room um, takes away some of the bottom end so you don't think you have that much. And um, that's a very viable thing because they can just say, oh, no problem, good mix, I'll just tuck this in, do this, do that. And they can take your mix to the next level. And I think the case for paying someone to master is that probably if you're listening to this, you've done everything else yourself, so you've saved all this money. So you don't yeah, need to spend yeah. any money once you bought the gear. So it's the only real money you have to spend let's say on a project and it's the only time a real professional is maybe involved in your project so there can be some value there what i would say to people is get good at mastering on your own first and then do a comparison master a track yourself once you feel comfortable and then send that same mix out for mastering with someone that you think have a really good reputation and compare and listen to what you hear mm-hmm. and then go huh they did notice some stuff um, that I didn't notice. And then you can sort of see where you're at and see how, how comfortable you feel with mastering your own material from there on or if you want to continue to hire somebody. Well, you've changed my perspective. 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> I no. now know how to, how to answer that question. Um, <laughs> so moving on, I remember reading an article about how you mixed an EP entirely at Starbucks, which is, which is awesome. But what made you decide to do that? Uh, I'm a crazy person. <laughs> no, I, um, it was, I was feeling really creatively stifled one summer and I just felt like stuck. And so something that I, I picked up from a guy actually in the business world, his name is Jay Abraham. He, he was mentioning something called the creativity switch. And the idea was really simple. It's just that if, if you're getting stuck, you need to just change up a few things in your normal routine, like the way you drive to work, you know, the order you do things in the morning when you wake up before you go to school or work. Um, just change up your routine a little bit to, to like wake up your brain because your brain will just get an autopilot. Like, you know how when you drive to work the same, drive somewhere the same way every time, you, you don't notice the things you pass on the street. Yeah, yeah. Just gotten, so, but if you go a different way, you're like, oh, look at that, that car or look at that house or that building. So your brain needs to get out of that autopilot mode. And so I, for some reason, I was thinking about that concept and I was like, I need to do a creativity switch for, for my music. So I need to do everything the way I don't normally do it just to mm-hmm. wake up my brain. And so it started with me writing songs differently than I normally write it because I wanted to do a whole project. So I normally write from the guitar. I take a guitar and I, I just fiddle around and I write songs that way. Instead, I wrote from drum loops. I just started cycling through loops wow. and getting inspired by a drum beat and then writing to that drum beat. And I wrote inside of Reason instead of Pro Tools. So it's a program I was not familiar with, with different plugins, different, visually just different, everything different. Um, I did everything on my sofa instead of sitting at my, my desk with my, all my stuff. I just did it on headphones sitting in my sofa. <laughs> so I just physically was in a different environment on my couch. And then I thought, man, how cool would it be to then go mix it in a really stupid place, like something really, really frustrating and weird like Starbucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I, it was kind of a joke at first, but then I actually decided to do it. So that was part of the creativity switch was when I got to the mixing stage. I took some headphones, took my laptop, took a little USB interface, and I sat down at Starbucks for a week into the same coffee shop every day for a week and I just mixed and uh, while they're blasting their own music over the speakers and they're you know steaming coffee and people are chatting it was really loud and really confusing but it was more of a, a challenge can I can I make a good sounding EP in this really bizarre environment mm. and you did well yeah you'll have to listen you, <laughs> you have to tell me I think people liked it it's a it's all it's an EP called what lies beyond cool. and it's at grahamcochran.com but that I'll, one was I'll link that in the show notes yeah, that was a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, so I ask everybody this question, like every guest, because it's something that uh, everybody has a different answer to normally. But do you get creative or, or writer's block, not just in uh, when you're writing music, but also if you're putting out an article on the Recording Revolution. So do you get that and do you have any routines, habits or tricks that you use to uh, overcome it? hundred percent. In in fact, I would say right now I've been feeling I'm in a season of, of writer block from, from the recording revolution standpoint. Mm. It's been really hard. I've been, I've been teaching this stuff for six and a half years straight wow. every wow. single week. Um, multiple pieces of content a week. And, it, and like this year has been the hardest it's been like my brain feels very empty. I mean, I thought I'd be done after a month. I thought I'd have a month's worth of content. So it's, it's amazing that I've come so far. Um, and it's because you're always learning stuff. You're always learning and you're always discovering new things or hitting a new challenge. Um, 
and I go through seasons of this and right now I happen to just be in one. And um, what I, what I have to do is, is just like with the creativity switch, I have to get out of my environment. I have to go somewhere else physically. I need to read something new. I need to listen to something new. I need to watch something new. Um, I need different kind of input, even un completely unrelated to my field. I'm just like if you're a songwriter, if you're stuck in writer's block, you need to just listen to music that's not even like the music you, you mm -hmm. like. And you need to then watch movies that aren't even related to music. Just watch movies. Just learn about people's lives or read a good book or a good story. Anything to input something new just to wake up your brain a bit and put new thoughts in your brain to get things stirring again. And it won't be long before your brain starts to, to activate again and get some new ideas. And for me, that's kind of what I have to do with, as an educator is I have to constantly be learning in my craft as well. But I need to, I like to learn all kinds of different stuff. I like to learn business stuff. I like to learn uh, stuff about film. I like to learn, I like to read books and stories. I like to just watch movies. I like, I follow sports. I, I just re keep up with you know current events that like are over here in America. It's just crazy with the whole election cycle this year. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, insanity. Yeah. Just a lot of interesting things. And instead of just you know having you know your your biased opinions about everything, I just like to see what's happening, see what human beings are doing, and just yeah. expose myself to different things, just to wake up my brain because I don't know everything and I don't know enough to to continue to help people forever. So you have to have the humility, I guess to say, man, I need to go learn something from someone else that's not like me and just be exposed to different things. And the brain is an amazing thing that, that God gave us that it will, it will like get excited. I don't know how to describe it, but your brain just starts to wake up and you get ideas. And then even if you don't know what to do next, when you get back in your chair, or you're back in your studio, things start to just come more naturally. And instead of just feeling like you're trying to pound down a wall and it's just not going down. That's some wisdom right there. Fire up. Um, okay, I've got one more question before we wrap things up. So, bit of an odd one, but let's say, you know, you're just walking along, maybe walking down to get a coffee or something, and you get abducted by aliens, but they give you a piece of paper and they let you write three pieces of advice uh, to artists, let's say. Um, it's the only thing you can leave behind. What's on it? <laughs> Oh man, this is what the aliens looked like, and this is their license plate number. Please come find. <laughs> no, um, three pieces of advice to leave behind to artists. So, I mean, I'm in the recording and mixing space, right? So people always want to know how to get their songs to sound amazing, hmm. and so I'll leave three pieces of advice to artists that want their songs, the recordings and mixes, to yeah, sound amazing. Yeah. Um, number one is stop focusing on the equipment and the techniques and the software and all the things that aren't the song and focus on the song. The, there's people making amazing sounding records on really cheap gear because their songs are amazing and because they're an amazing artist. That's the difference maker. So it's always about the song and it's about how well the song is written, how well it's arranged and how well it's performed. Everything else can be swapped in and out. Cheap gear, expensive gear, simple setup, complex setup. Those things are just different, you know, colors and paint brushes, but what you're painting is what makes or breaks the art. So focus on the song, not on the gear. Um, don't let things get overly technical. I hate the technical side of recording and mixing. I feel like it just gets in the way. Mm -hmm. So even if you're trying to get compression to sound good or EQ to sound good, or you're putting something on your mix bus or you're learning your DAW, ask yourself musical related questions, not technical questions like, 
do I like the way these drums hit or not? Are they they're hitting hard enough or not? Use musical terms and don't worry about the ratios or mm-hmm. settings. All that doesn't matter. It just does it does it does it sonically do what you want it to do? Um, and and sometimes you can be looking at a plugin and be like, well, it looks right. It should be right. The settings are right, and, <laughs> and none of that matters. Like close your eyes for a second or turn off your screen. Think like a listener. Does it hit the way you want? Does it sound good? So focus on the sound of things and the music side of things, and not focusing on are the settings right, all that kind of stuff. And then number three is don't don't listen to what what people say on the internet, except for me. <laughs> no, but seriously, don't listen to what all the haters say on the internet that waste their time um, telling you what gear you need or don't need, or what techniques are are silly, or what techniques are the best, or what songs sound good or don't sound good. Just ignore all those people because it takes too much energy to even deal with them. Instead, focus on what you like. If you're creating art that you like, chances are someone else will like it too, and you'll be excited about it, and you'll do a better job. And so focus on just doing your craft. Spend more time doing your craft, less time reading about your craft. I tell people, if you spend more time reading my articles and watching my videos than you do making music, then you probably are missing something. Like Maybe at the beginning you binge for a while and you need to learn a lot, and I get that. But after a while, put my stuff away, put all the other great resources away, stop listening to Sam's podcast for a moment, <laughs> and then go try stuff and fiddle and experiment. You can't break anything. You can't do anything wrong. There's so much waiting to be discovered if you just spend more hours fiddling and trying things than you do trying to get to the bottom of what's the best preamp and the best converter and the best sample rate and the best DAW, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are, are pointless um, questions to even answer i think yeah I agree. i'm more excited about you just making a lot of music and you have to make bad music to get to the good music there's no way around it. there's no shortcut so it's hurry up and get to your bad music quicker mm-hmm. and you'll get to the good stuff quicker man that is that is great advice well thanks heaps for coming on graham and i think everybody knows where to find you online but just in case there's someone out there who doesn't where can people find you online absolutely just go to the recording revolution.com and uh, I would de- definitely encourage people to join um, join the list there to get my Smart Start to Mixing video series. You just put in your email address right there um, because what it is, is it's a 60-minute series that will walk you through what you should be doing in your DAW at the beginning of every mix. doesn't matter what DAW, doesn't matter what kind of music you do. There's a couple of things in the digital world that people aren't doing that's making their mixes sound bad. So I walk you through how to set up your mix at the very beginning, the first 30 to 60 minutes every time to make your current setup sound a whole lot better. It will help you out. It's absolutely free. And that's a great kind of thing to get started with. Absolutely. Awesome.